Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Maker Mom podcast. Today's guest is Lauren Malika. Lauren makes some really fun... um, unique, uh, really creative, uh, jewelry displays. Um, she does it all with a scroll saw and she just, just does some really amazing work. Uh, so I had a great time chatting with her, learning about her, you know, creative background and how she grew up with a lot of creative people in her family. Um, and now how she is kind of passing that on with her kids. So before we hop into the interview with Lauren, though, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thanks so much, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, Rasp, File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And with no further ado, here is Lauren. Well... As you know, since you listen to the podcast, I always start by having my guests introduce themselves. So when you are ready, I'm going to let you do that. Okay, so um, my name is Lauren Malika, and I've sort of named my business Lauren Malika Woodworking because it's just what it was, and I couldn't think of any other name for so many years. Finally gave up, and uh, uh, I have two boys that are seven and ten. All right. My oldest is seven and a half. So uh, <laughs> you have five or four. Right? Five. She five. just turned five. Yeah. January 25th is her birthday. So she just turned five. Um, and it feels odd to be so far away from like baby stage because that still feels like very, you know, <laughs> like really just like entered out like entered into the new dimension right yeah (laughs) and I have two and actually at at seven and ten for the first time which is partially why I'm doing what I'm doing with such fervor now is that they're both in school so I have Mm -hmm. the from like nine to three which I never had to really concentrate you know Mm -hmm. it's another another dimension sort of happening a little more like you know, you can decide to kick them outside to have fun, you know, I'll be out, <laughs> but yeah, 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 we're getting close to that, like, you know, there's been a couple of times where it's, like, been able to leave our oldest, like, on his own at home to, like, just run to, like, you know, go pick up his sister or something, and he doesn't want to tag along, you know, and it's, like, okay, you're almost eight, like, I guess, you know, um, but yeah, it's definitely a, a, a different perspective, and I'm not, I don't know, I haven't decided if I like it yet or not, there's aspects I like, uh, the not being, like, touched 24-7 part, I kind of like, um, <laughs> But uh, the the also, but that's the flip side, right? Is then it's like, oh, mom, I don't need you anymore, type thing. I'm like, huh? You're not even a teenager yet. No, they come back a little bit. Like the the little one is still my seven year old is still super cuddly and kissy, but mm-hmm. the older 
doesn't kiss me on the lips anymore. I'm like, fine, you don't need to do that at 10. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> he'll, he's the leaner. We call him the leaner. So if he's sitting next to you, he's always leaning on you. <laughs> they're just, they're, yeah. 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 That's my oldest too. He's like, it's like, he wants to be like, at least like a little spot touching you type thing. Uh, but no, you know, it's like you go in and give him a hug. It's like, mom, you know, want, like, seriously, you're not even eight yet. <laughs> oh, it's not okay. He's going to, he'll come around again when he'll give you lots of hugs and hold your hand again. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um, all right. Let's, where'd you grow up? And uh, what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? So I actually have a pretty neat um, early life because I was um, living overseas at the time with my family. So I was born in Hong Kong on New Year's Day. And we lived there for three years and then we moved to um, Bahrain. And then we moved to Egypt. So three years each place. And um, we moved to the States for the first time when I was in going to third grade. So I was thinking about this because of your question. And I, and I was realizing again, we didn't have TV. We didn't have iPads, obviously, because it's all pre-tech anyway, but we didn't really have TV. So, so much of our entertainment, for instance, on those long plane rides and traveling a lot at that time was my mom brought an art kit. It was always like a bag of, you know, markers, pencils, and paper and everything. Um, so also during that time though, um, every summer we would end up staying with my mom's parents, my grandparents in New Hampshire at their cottage on a lake. And that was like basically our heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. We would spend, I think my mom would take us um, there for probably two months at a time. It was a lot, a lot of time in the summer. So that was our exposure to like just the beauty of nature and like calm. You could kind of, you know, go catch frogs or take a canoe ride out or um, go swimming. You know, it's like, it's my, it's still my favorite place on the planet. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I kind of grew up with a mother who loved to paint. My grandmother loved to paint. I would spend a lot of time at this little table, little card table in the window at this cottage, painting watercolor with my grandmother and my mom. Um, my grandfather actually was an engineer for Westinghouse. I think he was an electrical engineer, hmm. but he also was just super handy. And he built so much of the cottage. I mean, he built the it's like live edge countertop, right? <laughs> Back in whenever that was. He actually had a... Um, a clock he made that was you know a cross-section of a beautiful tree mm -hmm. he'd made so I was sort of surrounded and I just found out I just visited my 94 year old grandmother um, on my dad's side the opposite side to the Italian side they came through from Sicily to Brazil to the U.S. and it turns out he was a rough carpenter and he worked on um so my my grand, my great grandfather was a rough carpenter on the Chrysler building in New York when they oh. over. So another carpenter. And then my, my aunt Kathy growing up was a carpenter. <laughs> so like we go to this, you know, we go to New Hampshire every summer and we would always visit my aunt in Maine. She worked at, she worked at um, Bush's uh, yacht club at one point. Um, it has since taken a toll on her physically. So she's now in real estate, but you know, and she didn't, work, but she was a carpenter for many years. And when I'd visit her, she would let me ride in the back of her pickup or go to her job site. She'd bring her, her, her partner at the time's dog was this gorgeous retriever sunshine. And, you know, so we're going to the job site with the dog and she was working outside in Maine and she was building a shed. She was building homes. She built her, she and her partner built a home together. So for me, I absolutely had just such, I feel like the biggest term is like resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. I really emphasize that in my life now with my family. It's like, I really want my kids to be resourceful. Um, so if you need something like figure out how to make it or 
whatever it is, because I, I really was surrounded by such resourceful people. My father, my mother, both just mm-hmm. so they need to get done. They just do it. it. Doesn't matter what the tools are. There was no like division about the men doing that stuff and the yeah. women doing the other. I mean, um, so and then there was something else I was going to bring up. Um, I don't know. I was always doodling a lot of pattern stuff. I love to draw women and like faces. And I used to do swimsuit designs. <laughs> I have like books and books of bathing suit designs. I thought I was going to be a swim, like a bathing suit designer. Um, yeah. So just a lot of stuff like that. I, I miss just a lot of resourceful people around me. My, and actually my grandfather, the one who lived in New Hampshire, the cottage. Um, so he, after his retirement, he started doing um, stained glass mm-hmm. and jewelry making. So in retrospect, I realize all these years, I, I really haven't felt like I fit into a category because I was still sort of, I still like a little bit of a feminine touch, but I'm also very of the typical boy, perhaps. I don't know. You can't mm-hmm. really say that. I was, I had an older brother who took me cliff jumping into the rivers. I was out there much, you know, and then I had all this, like, I'd love to build with my hands. So kind of felt like I didn't, I wasn't a fine artist. I don't like to, I don't love to paint. I actually don't like to paint much. I love to stain. Don't love to, I will when I'm asked, but, um, and sometimes I enjoy it, but Mostly it's just to be like accent stuff. So I kind of didn't feel like I fit in. And now as an adult, looking back at all those years, I'm realizing it's this, it's because I, I hadn't really realized that I had my own little spot, mm-hmm. my little sweet spot, which is loving to draw, loving to doodle, but also building structurally with my hands and placing things. I love to be able to like visually move things around and, Mm-hmm. I don't do anything on the computer. I, I honestly can't. I couldn't <laughs> drawing with a mouse. That would just make me crazy. Um, so I do everything like by hand first. And I've had to sort of figure out like software to take my drawings larger without, without doing like Adobe Illustrator and like right. high tech. I think I have a lot to learn there and I, I'm not sure I have the time. <laughs> I had to find ways to get around that. So basically I was just, I'm surrounded by a lot of, a lot of artists and painters and carpenters and engineer. Like, so it's like the science and art mix Mm -hmm. in a way. Did that as a kid, did you feel that, I guess, feeling of not like that, that was, did it feel odd or out of place that that was your world then like that that was your space no I I realize now that it was because my girlfriends will talk about how I just didn't have the similar sort of you know what what was natural to me is Mm -hmm. not natural to a lot of people and I think part of that too is um just to add in in New Hampshire at that lake it was also this like um which many people don't have too, was this connection to, to nature and the outdoors. Like we didn't watch TV there either. I mean, it was go get lost in the woods and follow a squirrel or, you know, mm-hmm. there's, he said for growing up in a way, and my mother was very much like this, where she noticed all of the small things, you know? So like, I take my kids out for a walk and I'm like, oh, look at the way, look at the way that shadow, when the sun is, when the cloud comes and blocks the sun, it creates this this cool shadow of the trees on the road I mean that is that's my mother and I both share and now I hear my kids doing it it makes me so happy because I feel like those little things um, that are also just so inspirational I mean for like textures and shapes and forms and um and also not fitting in I'm not a mathematician I hate math and so I do love construction. I loved shingling on this mission trip we did in high school. I discovered I loved it then too, but I love hammering mm-hmm. and building, put things together, but um, I don't like to measure. And so I think, and I don't like perfection. 
I don't like being forced into perfection. So it's so much of furniture building and mm-hmm. real construction is so carefully executed. And it turns out that, oh, well, some people are always like, you're such a perfectionist. I'm really not. It's, there are detailed work and I do love detail, but it's not perfect. And because it's hand-drawn, it's not really symmetrical either. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way, like the, the scroll saw allows me to be asymmetrical and mm-hmm. not have to. And so it's like the balance of like this sort of nature, not really wanting everything to be perfection and measured to be very free mm-hmm. is a mesh of all those kinds of things that I didn't know I could do. Right. Or, you know, before it was like, I don't fit in here, shoot. <laughs> and so I never did one or the other. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Like it's. I always knew I wanted to make furniture. Really? So, yeah. So you have sketches of like bathing suits. I had sketches, you know, or trying to make furniture out of Legos or the boxes that the dolls came in that my, that, you know, my mom kept buying from me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want the doll, the stupid Barbie doll. I want, I want the box. Um, yeah. Um, but you were building from a very, you were, and I'm not sure I was into Legos either in that way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 I was, so I've always been into that and I would have told you I wanted to be either furniture or an artist, you know, but then I was told, no, basically, because you can't make money doing that. You know, you can't support yourself. And and I grew up rather poor, you know, below the poverty line for a good chunk of my childhood. Um, and so I think that mattered yeah. you know, to my mom is she wanted to make sure that I was going to go into something that I could support myself in. Today's sponsor is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews, and you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram. Just look up Rasp filed designs or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com um but yeah like you talk about with the scroll saw with the ace the you know asymmetrical portion of it that's how i feel about power carving like that's what draws me to it is it's just it's not perfect (laughs) and that's why i like it um and that I makes can, it sustainable too, right? Yeah. Because it feels more human mm-hmm. and it feels flawed and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But you just got to find the people who appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can build, I can build furniture, you know, in the more traditional means and, you know, joinery types and stuff. I, I can't do dovetails, but I can do quite a bit of the other stuff. Um, but I just, I, I get frustrated with it because it, it, I don't know, because it feels limiting in the perfection piece of it for me. You know, what did that for me too was um, pottery. Mm. And I, and that was a real eye opener for me too. My girlfriend's like, well, you do an art class with me. She was feeling like she needed a hobby. And meanwhile, I'm living my passion through my hobby, right? <laughs> like, I don't really need this, but I'll do it for you. Right. And I thought I might enjoy it because I used to love ceramics, hand building, mm-hmm. hand forming. You know, I used to make, I made this like large ceramic turtle my mom loved, you know, and mm-hmm. like an elephant. But then when it came to the wheel, it drove me nuts. It was so rigid and they're like, you have to be this way. You're not. And then I've started to feel so much pressure. I couldn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I wasn't enjoying an art class of some, you know, <laughs> but I really, right, there's something and there's just, you have to like, I think now, it, it, now being 
in my 40s too. I'm like, I'm just finally accepting the fact that it's okay <laughs> to create your own, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so, I mean, after, I mean, <clears throat> like after high school and stuff, uh, you know, what'd you, what'd you do after that? Did you go into oh. art after high school? Oh, so, well, let me first say that I forgot to mention this. So in seventh grade woodshop, just like so many of your other interviews, was my woodshop class. And seventh grade for me was also the peak of my confidence and my, I feel like my true self before you know eighth grade high school all of the other factors start to like weigh down on a, a female mm-hmm. I mean boys too my my husband will always remind me that it's tough really tough for boys too and so he's like worried about our boys growing up with those pressures but um I had my woodshop class and that's when we first used a scroll saw and I just loved that scroll saw couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I could draw whatever I wanted and then just set the line. I, that was astonishing to me. I always call it the scroll saw for me is like, it's, it's the old school 3D printer. You can really pretty much make anything because there's no limit on the shape. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, I love, my doodles are always very sweeping and you know, they're not like this. So I don't need, I don't need to have my chop saw for everything. So much of it is like, flowing lines or whatever. So his first project he had us make was really cool. It was a elephant box stand. Um, And I posted it at one point reminiscing on my first spark Mm -hmm. uh, from that back, that was 1990. And this box is genius. I don't know where he got the plan from. It's fantastic. But all these people were like, how did you, how do you make that? I'm like, I don't know, I'm gonna take it apart I'll trace the parts and we'll, we'll all go make some elephant boxes or you can turn it into whatever animal you want. This is really cool elephant box. It's got the beater, the stand, and it's a raised mm. box. Um, and that's when he could see my interest, I believe. And we were allowed to make whatever we wanted. And so I wanted to make, a. I don't know where I got the idea, but um, my mom had collected all this jewelry from, I love jewelry, obviously. I make jewelry displays, but she um, had collected all this jewelry from international travel. So, I mean, she had all kinds of interesting stuff made from craft people and artists from around the world. And the whole point was like, let's make her something she can put it up on her wall. She's a very Zen person. She's very kind of like keeps things neat, not a neat freak, but she's very like uh, minimalist in a way. Um, she grew up like on a farm, like she didn't, she didn't need a lot of things, but you know, what she did have was necessary. So we wanted to kind of further, like, you know, you don't have a lot of stuff on your dresser, you put it up on the wall, you can see your stuff. She has arthritic fingers. And so it was like, how do you get all your things out and untangle? So that was the first time I invented a wall mounted jewelry display. And we were all, the first one was really, really ugly. Really, <laughs> and then my teacher said he would help me design a better one. I'm like, how great is that? I, I need to go. I wish I could go find him. I'm sure he's gone now, but through the years, I've often thought about him. Um, but so then he helped me build another one, and so he taught me basics like you make a hole in the base that you can put your dowel in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he helped me build a proper one, and the one that that I made with him. But my mom hung in her bathroom for, I swear, almost 20 years. I think, no, I think it was all, so it's from 1990. So um, I think she took it down sometime around 2018. So a lot of time, mm-hmm. that thing forever. Um, so that was really when I first was introduced to like woodworking in that, in a way that I really was like, oh, this is neat. Mm-hmm. Then in high school, I did those mission trips and we would go, we went to like a, went to Arizona, went to a Navajo reservation and built a halfway house, I believe. And that's when I did the roofing, mm-hmm. loved that. We went to Guayaquil, Ecuador and we built, um, we worked on a, um, a school in a small village. Uh, and I just, I like, I love manual labor. I love mm-hmm. manual labor. There's no denying it, but then again, like we've been talking about, it's like, 
I also really wanted to be financially independent. So I don't think I ever even, I've never taken art classes outside of school. I never took woodworking classes outside of school until just a year ago, I took my first woodworking class. And I just, I don't know why, I just didn't think it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and because I wanted to work and I didn't, I don't know that I thought of, I do love to, I love to work. So I, I don't know if I thought of that as being like a real job. I don't know why, but I just think, didn't think of being an artist. Like it probably wasn't good enough. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Incredible artists out there. It wasn't. So I went to school and I graduated with a degree in um, psychology because I really loved behavioral neuroscience and brain injury and endocrinology and um, genetics. So I really had this like love for science, but I don't have the, um, like, I don't want to say I'm not smart enough. I just, but I'm not, I don't really have the, the math and all that other stuff sometimes to kind of go there. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated, I was like, oh, I got to get a job. I just had so much fun in college because I took everything I was interested in. I mean, I took cosmology, um, biological anthropology, linguistics, uh, sex and language. I mean, I took so many interesting courses and I think it was wonderful. But then I was like, oh, I got to get a job. What am I going to do? Got to get a real job. So I took a six week business course just to sort of see that you like learn about business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I, I ended up moving back home and I couldn't find work. And I was like, this is awful. And my dad said, maybe you should temp. So I started temping and then that was cool. I ended up, I just fell into the hedge fund industry. I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I just fell into the hedge fund industry and they were really cool people, you know, highly educated fun, interesting people there. It was before the hedge funds had really taken off. It was very early on. I didn't even know what a hedge fund was when I went to go in. Um, I still don't know what a hedge fund is. <laughs> it's financial industry. <laughs> it's a little fancier. It's a little uh-huh. fancier and it's all like, you know, hi, you know, your clients are all millionaires and you know, special clients and stuff like that. What made it really cool was that I worked for the the marketing director. And so I did client service all day long. And it turns out, I I mean, I just love client service. I like making people happy. I love getting answers that they need answers. I just love that. I love being on the phone all day with clients. And she was also, my boss was also the head of the foundation. So I got to choose, you know, places where we might consider donating money and with the foundation's money. And then I started this um, volunteer group, or I think they kind of had one, but I sort of boosted it up a little bit and let's said, let's do more things. And we did all the fundraising events like 5Ks and, you know, we did soup kitchen where we would go buy the food and go cook. But I really liked that. It was like this volunteer initiative kind of a thing. So after that, there was a reorganization and I, maybe it was a mistake, but maybe it's led me here. I don't know where I'm very happy to be, but I didn't go, I didn't stick with the marketing group because I didn't want to go into the marketing group because what I had been doing was very different. It was more like client oriented and it wouldn't be quite that way. It'd be more like updating brochures and things like that. And I started working for a portfolio manager and doing spreadsheets every day. And I just was like, my confidence level was just dropping because I just wasn't, wasn't being utilized. And I would, you know, I would try to take on more work, like do more research, but I was never given the opportunity. And that's a tough thing in a hedge fund. It's very flat. So when I was an admin, you're an admin, like you're probably not going to go much higher from there unless you're going to go to become a portfolio manager and you need like a, you know, MBA and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's when I just was taking a nosedive personally. And this is where everything kind of culminates for this whole endeavor I'm in now, because I started missing my creativity and I was like, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Like, how did this happen? And um, 
I don't know. I don't remember exactly how it went, but I started mentoring to sort of fulfill this like desire also to do something better. And, and then I joined the Red Cross or training with Red Cross. <laughs> did this um, volunteer thing through my company actually at the time where I went to um, Columbia, South Carolina and helped kids write college entrance mm-hmm. essay. Um, and I felt really passionate about that. I turned out to have an all girl class. And these are, real, these are really tough lives these girls were living. And, um, nothing like I'd ever seen in my life. I had led a very blessed, um, easy, pretty easy life, you know? And so mm-hmm. they were just getting me in the heart. And um, I just adored these girls. You know, I knew them for four days, but I just loved it. Um, and I, I finally sought out a career counselor. And... I went into her and I was like, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. So she was like, where do you want to start? Do you want to continue on this path? And I was like, no, I was like, take me back to the beginning. I don't know who Lauren is anymore. I don't know how I got here. And basically she pulled all those, you know, she was so wonderful at what she did that she could see, like when you talk about power carving, like you just light up, right? Mm-hmm. She's so she saw all the ways I was lighting up. She started giving me all these books to read because I couldn't afford to go her uh, to her often. So I would go every like two or three months, but she would give me lots of fodder to think about before I went back. And I had to do a lot of writing. And there's this book called Our Wildest Dreams by Jolene Godfrey. And she's like way back, sort of the beginning of women starting to think about how different they would run a company. Mm. Like female owned business and like what that means to us. And that, and I, what I liked about that was like also that female run businesses are different because we are different. And that may be why they are so wonderful. Sometimes it's not just bottom line where we're extremely connected. I mean, I'm like, this is so personal for me, all, all the things I'm doing, you know? So because of her, she gave me permission She's like, I love that. You should definitely do that. Make me one. Can, you know, let's keep going with this. She was trying to help me get through there. And then of course I needed money. I mean, I needed to mm-hmm. financially independent. So then I got, I got lucky in that I was looking for work and um, an old friend reached out to me from the past company. Cause I had left my company without a job and I was so petrified, but I'd saved a lot of money. Cause that was a good place to make money. Of course, saved a lot of money there. Um, but when I said goodbye, I left and I had permagrin and I was like, I did the right thing. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find a job. I can know I can. I'm a good worker. Like, you know, I can find a job. And it just happened that I was interviewing in other places. And then um, an old friend from previous company had left also. And they were launching their fund separately. And there were only four people. And I said, sure, I'll come help you set up. She's like, you don't, you don't have to stay, you know, stay for as long as you like. And then they hired me on, obviously it was really, and it was a really great, it was another hedge fund, but a much different, smaller family run right. place. Only seven of us in the end when I left. Um, so am I rambling? Well, so, so basically I was at that point where she, the career counselor said, go for it. And it was like giving me permission because I felt like I, I don't know why I needed permission. Just needed permission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like it's okay you want to do woodworking do it um and then I got the other job thankfully because I needed money and I yeah hey friends I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand I discovered that you might love as well have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance only for it to end up at the back of your closet because it just doesn't fit right I personally hate when this happens. I get excited about a new pair of work boots and then I'm disappointed to find out they just weren't designed for me. Discovering Athena Outfitters was a game changer for me. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women. All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trades, not just sized down versions of items designed for men. They've got great workwear essentials like comfortable, soft, and safety toe boots and options for my active lifestyle when I'm off the clock as well. Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting a high quality product 
that also looks and feels great. Next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out athenaoutfitters.com. That is A-T-H-E-N-A outfitters.com and use special code at checkout MM15 to get a 15% discount because you listen to the Maker Mom podcast. Um, and then to sort of fast forward, I had been selling, I'd been doing this on the side from the old job, the new job. Mm-hmm. I moved into the city with my husband because he'd never lived in the city. And it was kind of like, let's do it now before um, we don't get a chance to, you know, right. before we get everything. So now I had this two hour commute, right? Door to door on the train, like from my apartment to the front door of my office. I read a lot, but that also meant like, again, the woodworking was really tough. I set it up in my, my parents' basement. So I'd go to work, put my parents' basement. I'd make a little bit. I'd go back on the train, go home. Sometimes I was lugging pieces to and from. I once poisoned myself in my apartment by doing polyurethane. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure. So basically, I don't know if if you don't want me to swear on here, but it was it was basically a shit show. Like (laughs) my work had become so difficult to kind of like, you know, when you are feeling this like creative groove and then you got to stop. It was just constant. Right. So my entire. I got to And then I had kids. Right. And so then I. I, we, we took a few months to see if we could lift off one income and we did, we did it. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll stay home. I wanted, my mother stayed home. So I kind of like wanted to always stay home. But then when I was faced with it, it was harder decision because I liked my independence. Mm-hmm. So in the end, the woodworking, continuing it on the side of having kids, which was really tough. Um, was like a way of preserving my identity that I, I think I really needed. Mm-hmm. And then it started to, um, it's just been ebb and flowing ever since I had my, ever since I was working when I first started, it's been an ebb and flow until finally last, I think it was 2018, right? My little one finally started school. So that's been the first time that I've had dedicated time and been mm-hmm. able to actually blossom because I think before it was just so hard to kind of stay in a groove mm-hmm. eruption so yeah so you've been you were home with them the whole time were you doing the like nap time hustle and the you know weekends and that type of thing yes yeah but not a ton I mean I put it on it was the back burner I had to deprioritize it but it was still there and it was still me. And I still had that because I, I really did miss work. I'm a, a, sort of like, even with kids, I was like, got up, got dressed, had my shower. Like, baby can wait. I'm going to have my shower ready to go. If I need to walk out that door for anything, I'll be ready to go. Like, mm-hmm. um, I just naturally have that. I wake, I'm a morning person. I wake up early. I go to bed early. I wake up early. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of like always... I felt like, you know, in a way, if I look back on it, I was kind of always clipping my wings. I was like constantly clipping, you know, like. I was going to ask, yeah, I mean, when you, you said, like, you deprioritized it, does that mean you deprioritized yourself with it? A little bit, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I'll ask, I'll ask this tough question. Why did it take both kids being in school to like put yourself back into and what you wanted to do, you know, back into priority? I think I always felt like it was my responsibility. I chose to be the home parent. And actually, in some ways, it's the traditionalness of it has has actually helped us a lot because my husband gets to focus on work. He goes and I'm in charge of the kids. And I, what I, you know, I'm like the boss there. He's yeah. also about, you know how it goes. When there's a primary, sometimes they don't listen to the other one as much. <laughs> Not yes. very fun. Absolutely true, but yes. <laughs> um, and it was really important to me because I did want to be sort of the primary. Mm-hmm. But it was also that 
and my husband always said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't making money. Mm-hmm. It felt like if I wasn't really making the money, then, you know, enough to cover, like say a babysitter, it just didn't feel right to me. But at one point I did, and, and my husband would never, he was always supportive. It was always just my own mm-hmm. with it. You know, it's like our own prejudices that we have inside us. Um, but at one point I had so many orders for one of my most popular designs, which is this tree jewelry display. And I had to make something like 25 one summer or something. It was crazy. It just, it boomed, something boomed. And then it just, I got all these orders. So I actually started my son for the first time in like a little home daycare down the road that my girlfriend was sending her kid to because she works at the school nearby. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I could, I could take him there for a couple of hours, about two days a week, sometimes three days a week. I'd get about six hours to work mm-hmm. and I could at least bang out these, these customer orders. Um, so I did make some choices in the end. And I think that was the start of it where I was like, oh, this is really good for me. Like, really good for me. I love my child, but I also love getting a chance to do something on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was huge. Yeah, I don't, you know, this is something that I struggle with and and I, I think we, all of us, I would say primary, you know, the primary caregiver struggle with, and that is when we choose ourselves, we always have to throw in the caveat, I love my children. And it's like, to try to like, I don't know, feel less guilty <laughs> about yeah. that. But the 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 truth of the matter is, is I'm not a good parent when I don't choose myself first. Absolutely. There has to be a give and take. And I think that's, I, I knew the struggle that stay-at-home parents have. I knew the depression levels. I knew all that stuff. And that's why I was like, I mean, I'm a, I really do think about these things and um, like from the get-go, I'd sort of like know and stay conscious of them. So I was thinking I have to make sure I maintain this for me. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was mostly enough. I mean, it was kind of enough. I, was, I had this identity in which I loved, which was my own stuff. And I think I, I also was just sort of waiting for the time when my kids would start school where it would really be like, okay, now I can actually get mm-hmm. more this and then once I feel like it's a self-sustaining like you mentioned this in one of your podcasts it was like I wanted it to be a self-sustaining thing I didn't necessarily need to make money we'd already done the the experiment like Mm -hmm. we chose the house we moved to and purchased for the first time based on one income like we have made all of the sacrifices and choices that put us right where we can be where I can be Mm -hmm. make now so but you're right it's like this I think it's the primary care person. They feel like they have to say that it's true. I mean, it's like, I think it's also because if our kids are listening, you want them to know we love them. Right. But we also love our time apart because Mm -hmm. it keeps us ticking too as like patient. We can continue to be more compassionate when we've filled Mm -hmm. our cup, right? Like Exactly. Like, I mean, you know, there's, I I tend to be a, person too who functions a lot on just like work and doing and filling up my time with stuff um that I can push myself into burnout and it's like the the telltale sign to me is always when it's like I've lost my patience with my kids like all right (laughs) okay something's gotta give because like that's you know the absolute thing I don't want to do that's like that is still my high priority is to make sure that I can be the parent that I want to be um and so that's always a key indicator unfortunately I haven't figured out the early signs before <laughs> hitting the losing the patience thing I, I still need to figure that out they know that it's human to lose patience that's okay <laughs> so, so their patients will be like oh, okay mom and dad lose their patience too gotta... okay it's normal yeah <laughs> nobody is perfect that's right I know um, the time, it's like for me it's like when I'm starting to feel 
like I'm bearing, being curt and mm-hmm. work with everything. I'm like, wait, are you, or when I'm complaining about their behavior being bad, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> is it their behavior <laughs> or am I like really awful right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Has there been any part, I mean, so you kind of went for this, like you said, doing it on the side, you know, while you were working and then like kind of where you could once you were home with the kids, but it sounds like it was always a business versus like hobby. Well, oh, you mean I always sold them? Yes. It was really like a hobby business, but um, I always sold them. And I don't know, I was trying to think about why that is. I think it's cause like, for me, it is the connection being made. There's something, I remember in the beginning, for some reason, I don't know why it was, but on Etsy, there were more people from Europe buying my stuff, which was really interesting, which is now, so now for the first time being on social media in the last, this is my going on my third year um, on Instagram, I realize now that I just didn't have an audience yet because mm-hmm. my audience isn't necessarily around me. It's not locally. Mm-hmm. There is an audience here. And that's how I first sold. It was very much like just by word of mouth. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it was always this feeling of, I, I think I've always wanted to have my own business and be my own boss for mm-hmm. sure. And I, and I think the career counselor brought that out. It's like, I want to have my own thing. I want to do it the way I want to do it. And I want to, I want to keep it in the space that works for me, which is better prioritized, like priority right now, but I also love this and I want to do it. And then it was always just kind of a side thing, but, but I was always selling them. But then when they went to school, I became obsessed. I think it was because I finally had the time to really get into it and then really improve. Cause I feel like I, you know, you know, repetition yeah. skills just get so much better. You repeat, repeat, repeat. And then after repeating all of that stuff for so long, then it becomes super creative. And that's when your real voice comes out. So I think I didn't find my true creative voice until three years ago when my kids went to school and I could really get into this. And the first year was an experiment to see if I, if I loved it or if I would go back to work to do something part-time differently like my old career or something. And then I said, no way, I'm not going back. I love this so much. I cannot stop. I couldn't stop if even you told, if you, if I tried. Yeah. Now it's like, it is everything to me. I have so many dreams about where hopefully this can grow. I mean, I have a, I have a crappy little, I love the space, but I have a really tiny little space, which is why I can't do larger projects anyway. Um, and whether is a big factor I mean it's super humid in the the summer it's hard to do my finishing sprays and whatever you know super cold right now so I have to be like bundled up down there um and I I don't have dust management so I keep the door open with a fan blowing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so I I just and now it's just to the point where it's it is literally the fabric of my being and I know now I'm I can't stop Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really the same way now. I left, you know, full time work, um, and got into consulting, which was still around like my my degreed type of knowledge. And even in just that experience, I learned like, hmm, yeah. I mean, I always knew working for other people, like to be, I hate having a boss. I hate it. (laughs) I absolutely cannot stand it. Um, I always feel stifled. I always feel, um, you know, I'm, I'm much more, I might be okay with a boss if they were like, okay, this thing X, Y, Z is what needs to be done. Just go do it. And like never check in and you know, that kind of thing. Like I'd probably be okay with that boss, but um, I just, yeah, I, I want to do it my way. And I also have found 
more and more like through the podcast and stuff and really just you know changing how I think that not only do I want to do it my own way but I want to like provide eventually a space to have other people you know in that space and allow them to do it their own way yeah like I want to just provide that opportunity um hi makers today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it and says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. So yeah, it's I, I put pressure on myself because it's like, dang it, this has to be successful because I refuse to go back to a full-time job. Um, yes, I, me too. I'm like, I got to figure out how to, it's financially sustainable. I finally did the accounting for the first time, like two day, two, for last year. Yeah, yeah husband gifted me to be the accountant for Christmas last year. I was like, I love you. <laughs> um, I finally registered for the first time. I literally like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to put up an Etsy shop. And I wasn't making anything. I mean, I'm right. I don't pay myself a salary. Come on. I yeah. like, do you make money? I'm like on the transaction. Sure. But I don't make money. Right. And I don't care. Is that all right? I mean, we planned our lives on this one income and Right now, I don't really make money, but it, it, I know the bank account that's for Lauren Malika Woodworking is still in the black. <laughs> I'm trying to like, you know, so as long as I slowly make it blacker yep. and black, then, then we're going to where we need to go because it's just like, I, I don't need a salary right now. I, it's not the point. I, I mean, I love this so much. How could I? Right. <laughs> just give up some things along the way. <laughs> But as you work to make it, you know, self-sustaining, make it be profitable, um, how do you work in the, <laughs> the goal to pay yourself, which would probably mean increasing pricing at some point? It turns out that I increased my price, I don't know, like 10 bucks on like items and they started selling more. So it's possible that I was underpricing to the point mm -hmm. where I was really weighing my work, but I also, it's a confidence thing. I didn't, I just haven't had the confidence until two years ago. I mean, I didn't, I, I don't know. It, you have to be really confident in what you, what you're putting out. And I think I still loved my stuff. I would never sell anything I didn't love, but I think that the quality of it has just gotten so much better that now people are paying for the, the decades of work that have gone into learning something and not, you know, and not my learning curve. Right. Before people are paying the learning curve and that's fine, but now it's becoming to the point where, and then you just feel like, I don't know, you're finding the people who actually care about this like small batch kind of thing, one of a kind, I mean, like they're not really, it's a weird product. My main product is a weird product. It's a jewelry display. And I get all the time people are like, why are you making jewelry displays? Oh, you make jewelry. And I'm like, no, I make jewelry displays. I know it's weird, but <laughs> in health, it's like this perfect blend of the things I love. And I think because they're jewelry holders, that's the structural part that I have to build in that I appreciate. Because if it was just a flat piece, it's not cool to me. But there's something about all those, like the structure above. It's like a one of my customers was saying it's like so architectural and she uses it she's kept one just for art instead of hanging her jewelry on it you know <laughs> so I do kind of I think it's a strange product but I had to find people who like who appreciate because it, it 
it, it's what I, I'm loving making them. I mean, maybe I will grow into other different types of products, but, and I make whatever anybody really wants. I mean, I made a military saber display. I've made like a tray with inlay, with a, like logo inlay. Um, I made a lot of interesting different things. Um, but really what it comes down to is it turns out that when I'm making for the first time now, making from my own passions, not just mm -hmm. what I think sell. like I used to make butterflies and dragonflies for the little girls who wanted those from, you know, in the beginning, very, very beginning in the early, like 2005 to something, 2015. Yeah. Um, those were what we're selling. Some of the pieces that I originally did were just mine. Like I used to do leaves that were very popular. And then the tree were, those were very popular designs that I did um, just on my own. But then more recently, it's now I'm just, it's like full on experimentation. And I'm mm -hmm. loving so much of that. It's like, let's try this out. Oh, let's try this out, you know? And it's like, the way I think about it is like um, constant prototyping. Yep. And then if something really sticks and the reason why I constantly prototype is because that's my personality. I hate repetition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like, really thrive on novelty. Um, I really rarely ever watch movies over again. It's very strange. Like when I used to run, I would never run there and back. I had to do a circle. Like it's weird little things like that. <laughs> so like, even if somebody orders something that I've made in the past, I'm like, just no, it's, probably be play there will be differences slight differences um but so I think that's a tough thing also because if I do if I want to grow which is my problem right now for the first time I'm really feel not for the first time again I'm at a crossroads where I can't keep up right now I'm feeling a little overwhelmed mm -hmm. and once you get so many orders and some of them are because some of them are my designs, but some of them are custom. So they're like brand new and I have mm -hmm. to like, learn a new skill. Um, they, they're very time consuming. That means I'm not creating off the cuff. And so I'm trying to figure out right now, like a formula that works mm -hmm. for me. I've seen a lot of makers, they do that thing where they like release a certain number of customs mm -hmm. um, and then they have like remakes of, so I have to figure out what's going to mix in the things so that I can stay feeling creative and passionate yeah. and not bogged down because, and so far, I mean, I'm so lucky that my customers know they have to wait. I mean, cause I'm, I'm just one person. I don't have any help. <laughs> None. Um, I jokingly had my son sand something last night. I'm like, here, Jeff, we'll sand this little guy. <laughs> um, but they're not quite ready to be yeah. My, my kids get bored after about two minutes of like, they're, they're, my daughter will bug me, you know, bug me, bug me, bug me. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. I'm like, all right, here, you can do this. Two minutes later, I want to do something else. <laughs> no, they don't know how to work hard yet. <laughs> Though they're really great about taking a chisel and getting, um, old resin off of my workbench they love oh. doing that like they absolutely love it <laughs> I'm like all right you know put your safety glasses on please stop putting your hand at the sharp end of the oh, you yeah. know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what well I have to figure out what makes them tick because it turns out well, the back before COVID, the kids down the block, it was so fun. They would all come off the bus and they would all come over for woodshop days with me. Unfortunately, I got to the point where I got too busy. I couldn't really like have them over to play. I was like, I have to work. Like these hours are so valuable. You know what it's like. Yeah. Somebody calls you, you're like, I'm not going to pick it up because if I yep. pick it up, I'm losing 10 minutes, which is so important. So yep. my day, really, I try to like block people out. And, and then I let them in and then I spent an hour helping a friend with something. And I'm like, I, I needed to do that. But, yeah. um, but so they liked making um, Zelda shields. They made mm -hmm. shield swords. Um, so sometimes it's like, I have to figure out what gets them into it. Cause I would like, my 10 year old can use the scroll saw by himself. So I had a, a DeWalt scroll saw, which is like really awesome um, scroll saw for I don't know decades and um 
it has a nice guard on it and he is allowed mm -hmm. to use that one now because I just purchased with my funds, my sustainable, <laughs> I, I purchased a really fancy, like more industrial scroll saw last year, I think it was. Um, and that, that's off limits now because I've taken the guard off and it's mm -hmm. like mom thing. Um, but he can do this, the 10 year old can do the scroll saw by himself. And he's like cut a dinosaur out before and stuff. So I think they just have to find what they want to make. Mm -hmm. Gotten them back into it much either. The neighbor kids were more into it. So yeah, my my kids are. I I could see my daughter getting into it. Like she's um, and we need to get back to it. But you know, she she discovered the world of miniatures, like miniature houses and stuff through you know YouTube kids and. So that has kind of taken on, you know, it's like with foam board and cardboard and we'll like, we're yeah. working on building the house and then building like the furniture pieces and well, she that gets, cool. yeah, she gets into designing it and stuff. So that's like, I can see her probably getting into actually, you know, she's my kid who loves Legos. Her older brother's like, mm. you know, he does, really? Yeah. Oh. He's really not into Legos. Um, occasionally he will, you know, but it has to be like Minecraft or Pokemon related. It can't be like just for the heck of it. Um, but yeah, I think she'll be my my shop help or my builder. Um, but my my son gets into decorating. Like he can lay out a whole like table setting with the centerpiece and like you know um and he critiques all of my designs all of my pieces you know he'll be like that's really cool except for this part right here I don't like that part right here you know um so I think between the two of them I I have jokingly said that I could see them being like like an interior design team or something oh. yeah <laughs> So that's, that's like another thing, right? We got to find, we, we've found what makes us tick. I, right. I always think, how am I going to have to pay attention so that we can make sure we're doing things that help them nurture those things within them, you know, because yep. it's their individuality that was, is, is great. Right. We exactly. have to be like true to ourselves and that's where the real, the real fun happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we've done a really good job. Like my wife and I are very much like kids at heart. And so like, you know, our basement isn't totally to a crazy level yet, but it's going to be there probably before we ever leave this house in the sense of like, the kids are like, we need this. And it's like, all right, we're gonna like install it. <laughs> we're gonna build it. We're gonna do it, you know awesome um and and we play on it just as much as they do um, you we've got like we've got a swing we've got a climbing rope now we've got like a loft uh hangout um, this is what we do in our basement because we have like queen mattress on the floor that we couldn't say no to that was donated to us mm -hmm. like a little workout area in the back corner for my husband um but yeah i was like it's time to sweep out some of these toys man you don't need these mm -hmm. toys let's make it more physical and fun down there especially yeah. in the winter so you well, that's, that's just it huh pictures of what you did yeah I've I've put stuff up on occasionally I'll put stuff up on Instagram you know to show but it's it's more and more like and and we've we've jokingly said, but I can for real see it happening about putting a slide from the first floor down to the basement. And, <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, well, why not? I mean, there's not really, you know, there's no reason not to. <laughs> You're planning on staying there. You might as well enjoy it. Right? That, that's right. I'm like, the slide could double as like a laundry chute. Like we could totally justify this. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> child shoot yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um so lauren we're actually like we we've hit the hour mark so 
Um, I want to give you a chance, though, to let everybody know how they can find you and follow along with you online. Okay, so um, I personally can't, I don't know how to use Facebook. I just always confounds me. I think it's just too much information for me. And um, when I discovered Instagram simplicity, uh, I just loved it. And it just works because like, I find it um, just wonderful the way you can kind of hone in on like the people that are inspiring and supportive and encouraging. So I'm on Instagram and it's just Lauren Malika Woodworking. Um, and I do have a website, pretty just basic. Um, it's just laurenmalika.com. And, um, and I do have a shop on Etsy, but it's totally sold out and I have nothing in there right now. So I need to, I need to figure out that formula we were talking about. Mm -hmm. how to mix in the just for fun and custom so that I can keep things fresh in my shop otherwise I just disappear in the search in my shop just bye <laughs> all right again that was Lauren and I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for this week's podcast episode so just check that out in your podcast app or you can find the show notes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcasts with an S at the end of that. All right. If you enjoyed this week's episode and any previous episodes, please remember to hit subscribe, like, comment, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy the podcast, but others like you might enjoy it as well. And please, please, please go check out Patreon. Check out joining the tribe over there. Any tier level you choose, you get uh, additional content such as access to live podcast interviews when those happen. And depending on the tier, you can get merch like t-shirts or coffee mugs or stickers and all kinds of good stuff. And uh, yeah, go check that out. Just to let you know, I am uh, contemplating adding the uh, buy me a coffee platform as well for those of you who may want to you know sporadically support the podcast and not sign up for a tier level um, or even those who might be a little leery of patreon itself so look for announcements of that coming up once i get it all set up and good to go um, or you could always just check out buying some merch. I do have t-shirts and coffee mugs and face masks uh, with both the Maker Mom logo and the Wonder Women series logo. And you can find the link to that in the bio over on Instagram. So just follow along there at Maker Mom Podcast. That's pretty simple. All right, so when I'm not making podcasts, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn and Pinterest and Facebook. I'm active daily on um, TikTok and Instagram. So if you want to see kind of up to the minute, so to say, of what I'm working on in the shop, that's where you can find that information and see shenanigans like Tuesday dance days. All right, it is Friday. It's the end of the week, at least here for me and my family. We're going into a spring break week, and I'm looking forward to taking the week off from work and spending it with my family and not getting too stressed out over getting work done. So if that is you also, I hope you enjoy spending time with your families as well and uh, get out and make something. I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know.